season of holistic wellness is all about health. So, and with this one, there's going to be some fairly intensive episodes. To give you an idea of what we're covering this season, we are starting out talking about thyroid health. And here's the thing, before you click off and think, okay, I don't need to know about thyroid health, chances are, if you're a woman, if you've ever had irregular cycles, if you have experienced muscle pain or muscle uh, muscle tightness, like it feels like your muscles just, like your body's just constricted in on itself. Uh, let's see, have SIBO, so small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, get bloated easily, uh, have very little appetite in the morning, feel like food sits in your stomach for a while, um, are irritable are sleeping nine plus hours at night and waking up and still feeling like you haven't either haven't gotten enough rest or feeling like you just frankly could sleep some more, you may want to stick around for these thyroid episodes. And starting today, uh, we're going to like what we're covering in today's episode is kind of a little bit of insight into my personal journey with a thyroid, uh, low thyroid condition, and kind of where I'm at now, what you'll walk away with is what test your practitioner actually needs to run to determine whether or not you have a thyroid problem. And here's the thing. It's not just TSH. So thyroid, we're starting out with that. We are covering some of the essential nutrients that a body needs in order for a body to do its thing. You were not made to be sick. And oftentimes what separates you from optimal wellness is a few key nutrients that are essential to health. So it's not a cabinet full of supplements, which believe me, I have been there. It is actually essential nutrients. So we're talking about that as well this season. And we have a number of episodes around fertility. So this is all things fertility. This is whether or not you are interested in getting pregnant at all. This is things to support a healthier period, uh, ways of tracking your cycle so that you know whether or not you have a healthy cycle. Because oftentimes when we're talking about health, especially for women, our menstrual cycles are the first thing to go out of whack. And so even something as simple as, you know, as simple and commonplace as PMS symptoms are an indicator that we are not in a state of optimal balance with our health. So without further ado, Let's go ahead and jump into today's episode. Welcome to Holistic Wellness, a podcast exploring the science and metaphysics of health and wellness. I'm your host, Brandi Searcy, founder and formulator at Rain Organica, where you'll find holistic skincare in one simple routine. All right, a quick refresher for you if you've been listening to this podcast for a while and kind of a quick catching you up to speed if this is one of the first uh, times that you're listening or the first time that you're listening. So back in 2016, 
I started gaining weight and I lost my appetite. And this was with no change in diet or exercise. Ultimately, two years later, I was finally diagnosed with an autoimmune thyroid condition known as Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And what proceed, what happened after that, like what succeeded that was my general practitioner not feeling comfortable treating me himself as, you know, a patient referred me to an endocrinologist who, uh, upon my first, first visit recommended take absolutely no iodine, eliminate all sources of iodine from your diet and take high doses of selenium every day. Within one month of doing that, I developed breast cyst. So I took it upon myself, actually figured out that iodine is necessary for the health of your entire body. So iodine is a key nutrient for cardiovascular health, for breast health, for prostate health, for guys, for ovarian health, and also of course, absolutely necessary to generate thyroid hormone. When I started supplementing my diet again and sup actually supplementing iodine back into my daily multivitamin, that breast cyst went away. So needless to say, I did not see that endocrinologist anymore. I saw a rheumatologist, a naturopath, um, and ultimately kind of led to seeing an Ayurvedic practitioner, uh, which I fell down the rabbit hole of Ayurveda for a while. Um, and all three of these, so the rheumatologist, I still distinctly remember, said, you don't need to treat this autoimmune thyroid condition. What will eventually happen is your body will attack your thyroid for long enough for your thyroid gland to completely scar over, and then it will just be scar tissue within your body and your body will deal with it. That is not the correct answer to any autoimmune condition. The naturopath, uh, this was one of those cases where I was overwhelmed with the number of supplements, needless to and not seeing any benefit or any change in my symptoms. Uh, so stop seeing her. And then the Ayurvedic practitioner, well, long story short, Ayurveda didn't hold the answers. Now, it's not to say that I regret what I've learned about Ayurveda and what I learned about my body through Ayurveda. I am saying that much of what Ayurveda teaches in is not conducive to good health, especially for those of us who are on the edge or who are already struggling with a condition. So if you've listened to previous episodes of Holistic Wellness where I talk about Ayurveda, the diet piece especially, I do not follow the dietary guidelines of Ayurveda. Uh, this is from, again, my own personal experience with trying those for nearly a year and seeing symptoms worsen and actually seeing, seeing symptoms improve when I altered and strayed from that Ayurveda diet. That is another episode in and of itself. Um, so yeah, so this gets us to about 2020. And this was two years post diagnosis with autoimmune thyroid condition. 
So from 2020 to 2024, I would occasionally seek out a different practitioner to help with the auto with the symptoms I was experiencing, like the symptoms associated with this autoimmune thyroid condition. And um, wound up seeing another naturopath who said, well, your TSH is really quite low and low TSH is associated with an increased risk of certain cardiovascular problems. So you may consider, uh, you know, not taking your very low dose of levothyroxine and just see if we can get that TSH value up. So I titrated off my dose of levothyroxine because ultimately I'd started seeing this naturopath in order to cure Hashimoto's, like get my thyroid antibodies back down to the quote unquote normal range. Um, and also, you know, hopefully have my thyroid be able to produce enough thyroid hormone to meet my body's needs. So I titrated off this dose of levothyroxine and what happened? Well, that muscle tightness that I mentioned at the beginning, I had that in spades. I started sleeping 10 hours a night and not really, like I would wake up and it wasn't necessarily groggy when I woke up, but it was, it was an act of prodding myself out of bed. It was almost like I just couldn't be bothered to get up. And then there were a few other symptoms as well. Some associated with, uh, they were, at, you know, honestly less severe than those two. I would say the muscle, oh, <laughs> actually, no, that's not true. The other thing that happened was, so I track, if you've been around here for a minute, you know that I track my menstrual cycles at home daily using the mirror fertility analyzer. And what has been going on for about the past year is that my estrogen levels have been very, very low. Uh, and with that, I've been suffering from some right-sided headaches and all of this sort of thing. So uh, like other symptoms as well, extreme fatigue, not able to hand, not being very resilient and not able to handle stress very well uh, without some kind of flare. Uh, so estrogen levels were through the floor. Um, I was still somehow for the most part managing to ovulate, but I was starting to see more and more cycles that were consistent with PCOS. PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, is where you struggle to ovulate for some reason. And purportedly, there are many underlying reasons why this might occur. Insulin resistance is a common one overabundance in androgens. So high testosterone levels for women is another one and inflammation even is another one. Uh, so with these, it's always a question of which came first, the insulin resistance or the inflammation, the high androgens or the insulin resistance. So what happens though, is that in a low thyroid state, this is associated with a reduced uh, ability to ovulate. And it is a 
very much a protective mechanism by your body uh, to protect you from conceiving and ultimately to protect the fetus um, from, you know, coming up, being, uh, growing in a low thyroid state because adequate levels of thyroid hormones are absolutely essential for healthy fetal development. Iodine is absolutely essential for healthy fetal development. It's especially important for fetal development of the brain. So I think this is oftentimes one of the reasons why so many women, when they get pregnant, actually struggle with low thyroid is because all of a sudden the extra iodine in their body is being redirected towards that, towards the growth of the fetus. Um, and then this is leaving them deficient in their iodine needs for making the thyroid hormones. All right. So anyways, yes, I'd been struggling with ovulation for about a year again. I uh, hadn't put two and two together. And, and in case you're curious, like why a year? Well, <laughs> all right. Back in August of 2021, I stopped hormonal birth control and hormonal Estrogen, especially whether this is natural estrogen made by your body or whether this is synthetic estrogen, like is in hormonal birth control, both of those raise the levels of a binding globulin or a binding protein, if that's easier to you know think about or visualize, known as thyroxin binding globulin. Now you can just think of this as thyroid binding globulin. What this does is it binds to the thyroid hormones T3 and T4 within your within your bloodstream. And you know, my my theory on this is that uh, when you have sufficient or high levels of TBG, again, this thyroid binding globulin, what happens is that when your body needs the uh those thyroid hormones, T4 and T3, it's able to release those as free T3 and free T4 a little more readily. Now, my theory on this is also, so estrogen causes higher levels of circulating TBG. And then in the second half of our cycles, when typically progesterone is more dominant, uh, there is a, you know, there is another rise in estrogen typically around mid cycle of the uh, or mid luteal phase. So about a week into the luteal phase, there's another rise in estrogen. However, for the most part, like most of us are progesterone dominant during the luteal phase. And especially right before our periods, levels of both progesterone and estrogen tank. And so if you are a woman who experiences cravings or experiences um, any kind of PMS symptom, my thought is it may be due to falling levels of the TBG. And so you don't really have kind of this reserve of thyroid hormones that are be they're able to be released into your system instantaneously um, as free T3 and free T4. And again, this is a total hypothesis on my part, uh, something that investigating, it really at the end of the day kind of doesn't matter. Um, coming back to what does matter 
is if you are a woman who is experiencing PMS symptoms, and if you are a woman over the age of 35, and you start experiencing any kind of hypothyroid symptom, and if you're curious what those are, click the link in today's show notes. Uh, there is a an assessment for you to take where you're able to quickly tally up what symptoms you're experiencing and just get an overall view of how many of those are actually low thyroid, indicative of low thyroid or symptoms of low thyroid. And yeah, it it uh, is definitely some food for thought. Um, anytime, we, anytime in our lives where we have a major hormonal shift, so entering uh Menarche, so beginning to menstruate, getting pregnant, giving births, that postpartum period, and then the perimenopause, menopause shift. So as at our estrogen and progesterone levels naturally start to decline, again, like over the age of 35, whether we're in perimenopause or not, our estrogen and progesterone levels just naturally start to decline and continue to decline until we hit menopause. Um, doesn't mean we're not fertile in those years, but it's a major shift in the body and the body has to compensate for that. And so these are key times in your life where you're very likely, if you're kind of borderline low thyroid, these are times when it's often easy to shift into a true low thyroid state, like a true hypothyroid state and begin experiencing more and more symptoms that are associated with low thyroid. All right. So, um, in 2024, uh, actually, no, sorry. In 2023, I, if I've said 2024 this whole time, I meant 2023. Um, all right. So in 2023, I, like I say, the, the, this naturopath said, oh, you know, titrate off your levothyroxine and, um, see if we can get that TSH value up. And, um, when of course I did, when I did that, when I titrated off, started experiencing like true hypo symptoms and decided she didn't know what she was talking about. <laughs> so then I, you know, once again, um, started researching this for myself and actually found a physician that works with people that have Hashimoto's, which again, if you are diagnosed with Hashimoto's, Yes, this is an autoimmune thyroid condition. There's kind of two buckets that low thyroid fall into. There is, well, actually there's three buckets. There is autoimmune, there's low thyroid caused by an autoimmune condition, i.e. Hashimoto's. There is low thyroid caused by iodine deficiency. And then there's this third category, low thyroid caused by adrenal fatigue or stressed adrenals. <laughs> what do the adrenals have to do with your thyroid's ability to make thyroid hormone? Well, it doesn't have anything to do with it, but here's the thing. All right. So we're taught that what is circulating in your bloodstream is truly reflective of what is in your tissues. So if we were to think about your body as uh, the bloodstream is the transport system, is the freeway or the highway. And then the tissues of your body, if we were to think of all of those as parking lots. So it's possible 
to have a ton of cars, i.e. thyroid hormone, circulating in your bloodstream, but there are barriers that impact them from getting from your bloodstream into the parking lot, right? Like there'd be concrete barriers at every exit, so they can't actually get off the freeway uh, and get transported like into the parking lot. So like what impacts that? Like the same thing is going on inside your body. You can have really high levels of circulating thyroid hormone in the bloodstream, but it's not able to get out of the bloodstream and into the cells. And every cell in your body needs thyroid hormone. It's essential for cellular metabolism, essential for lots of other like everyday actions within the cell. So what is preventing it from that? Well, it turns out that cortisol controls how well the thyroid hormone is able to migrate out of the bloodstream and get absorbed into the body's tissues. And so advanced uh, practitioners or practitioners in the know will actually perform tests to evaluate a cellular uh, thyroid, like a cellular thyroid response or cellular thyroid um, hormone levels. And the way that they do this is by testing basal metabolic rate. So with this test, you breathe into this mouthpiece for seven minutes. If you've ever been scuba diving, it's kind of like having the scuba gear mouthpiece in your mouth for seven minutes or so. So you breathe into that, and what it's looking at is carbon dioxide oxygen um, output, like oxygen intake, carbon dioxide output, and then it's determining or calculating a basal metabolic rate for your body. And there is, while this is unique to everyone, there is a range based on your height, your weight, and your age. Um, so that's one way. And typically, if you are deficient in thyroid in the cells at a cellular level or within the tissues, that is going to be low uh, for your, again, for your weight, for your age, and for your height. Um, another thing, this was very interesting, is that there's a way to monitor um, and measure your reflex speed. So with this one, you wear um, almost like a I always want to say speedometer. I know that's not the right word. Um, I can't think of what it's called. It's a little strap that that goes around the fingers of your hand. And um, it actually has like a speed meter in it, <laughs> for lack of a better term. And then what happens is the, um, the lab technician will strike uh, your elbow to get you to have a reflex um, in the down that is observable in your hand. So your hand goes like this when you hit a spot here in your forearm, uh, right, right near your elbow. So, and then that reflex time is measured and it's compared against what's normal, um, this normal range. And from that, when you have slow reflexes, it's once again, indicative of a low thyroid state. And then the third test is just measuring or assessing iodine levels in the urine to determine if you are iodine deficient. So all of that is kind of a true measure of whether or not your cells are receiving enough thyroid hormone. And once again, 
even when your cells aren't receiving enough thyroid hormone, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's your, there's something wrong with your thyroid. It may indicate adrenal stress. The other thing it might indicate is nutrient deficiency. So we talked about iodine already. Iron is another one. So I, yeah, good old iron. Um, I, it's common for people that are struggling with a low thyroid state to be low in iron. And with this, uh, you look at not only ferritin, which is kind of iron storage capacity, but there are three other markers that are considered necessary for determining whether or not um, you have sufficient iron and you're not in fact kind of in an iron overload state. Because uh, everything in your body, um, if if you, if you haven't like, um, chances are you've already sussed this out from this conversation so far, but everything requires balance. Like we are all about health is optimal balance. So it, it's not too much or too little of any one thing. Um, now for the, I, I mentioned at the outset that we were going to talk about like what blood tests are needed. So there are some, de definitely some blood tests and TSH is not one of them. Why is TSH insufficient? Well, TSH, known as thyroid stimulating hormone, is actually made within the pituitary gland in your brain. So um, what, like, what happens pretty much with just about any hormone in your body, you have a, an organ or a gland in your brain known as the hypothalamus. And this sends a signal over the pituitary, which is located real close to it in the brain, to... Um, and, and when I say sends a signal, I mean, it sends a hormone over to the pituitary that the hormone knows, oh, or the pituitary knows, oh, okay, I need to make this hormone in response to it. And then that hormone, in the case of your thyroid, TSH, so thyroid stimulating hormone, then travels, sends the signal to your thyroid gland to make thyroid hormone. Now, what is thyroid hormone? Thyroid hormone, the thyroid actually makes five different thyroid hormones. So it makes calcitonin, T2, T3, T4, and T5. Um, of these, T3 and T4 are the ones that we look that, that are like, they're the ones we're most concerned with. They're the ones that are most commonly ordered on a, on like a true thyroid panel. T4 is the storage form of thyroid hormone. And that doesn't mean that it just sits around doing nothing. That just means it is less metabolically active than T3. So T3 is the true, um, like, you know, full active thyroid hormone. And with that, it's important to look at free T3 and free T4 uh, levels, because as I mentioned, that thyroid binding globulin, so this uh, binding protein circulating in the bloodstream, will bind to T3 and T4. And then as long as they're bound, that means these um, hormones aren't able to like make any effect on metabolism or, you know, actually be utilized uh, by the cells um, because they are bound to that circulating 
uh, binding protein. So let's see. Oh, and then there's one more thing. So if you, there's also something known as reverse T3. So this is may T4. All right. <laughs> so while your thyroid makes all five of those thyroid hormones, again, calcitonin, T2, T3, T4, T5. Every cell in your body is able to convert T4 to T3. So the thyroid only makes about 10% of the total T3 kind of needed or residing within the body. And then the cells do the rest. And the way that they do this is by um, a particular enzyme. And this particular enzyme can make either T3 or reverse T3. And what is reverse T3? Well, reverse T3 is made, it, it is kind of, you can think of it as the opposite of T3. So whereas T3 is very uh, high energy, like highly metabolic, reverse T3 is very low metabolic, um, but it binds the same receptors as T3. So what it does is essentially block the effects of T3 and it's hard to remove from those cell receptors. So as long as reverse T3 is sitting there, um, you know, your metabolism is going to be low. So why does the body make reverse T3? Well, it's a protective, um, it's a protective mechanism. Uh, just like it goes back to this maintaining a state of balance. Um, you don't want to be so overly you don't want your metabolism to be so overly high that you are having to eat constantly just in order to maintain weight um, so that you are not like catabolizing your body. So you're not like burning muscle. You're not, you don't have like muscle wasting disease or, 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 well, that's not even right. But anyways, your body's not like burning itself, not, uh, <laughs> for like, like eating itself, like consuming itself because of insufficient calories from the outside. So for that reason, like, once again, we need this balance. Um, there probably is some like real reason for reverse T3 that just hasn't been discovered yet, but typically it's considered you, there is an optimal range of, or an optimal ratio of free T3 to reverse T3. And you don't want to exceed that. And um, some of the things that cause you to create more reverse T3 is stress, uh, is even over-exercise. So um, anyways, of a complete thyroid panel uh, should test, a doctor is always going to test TSH because they that's what they've been trained to do. It should also include free T3, free T4, and reverse T3. Then to rule out, and I would say that you push for this, to rule out a, an autoimmune condition, there are two antibodies. These are known as anti-TPO, so anti-thyroid peroxidase, and anti-TG, so anti-thyroglobulin. Those two are also um, necessary to rule out an autoimmune thyroid condition. 
And like I say, I would say, especially if you're struggling with symptoms, it's, it's necessary to push that because I have been in the um, category where my entire thyroid panel was normal, but my anti-TPO antibodies, when I finally got a doctor to order that was high. Um, so you will find a download for those five tests. So, you know, you're able to, to actually see this instead of just hear it at the link in today's show notes. And again, at that link in today's show notes, you'll also find a the hypothyroid tracker, the hypothyroid assessment to, you know, fully suss out whether or not your symptoms might be caused by low thyroid. All right. Next time on the podcast, we are talking, like we are kind of continuing this train of thought um, for another episode because there are, I wanted to dive into a few of the more common symptoms, so most notably SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, malnutrition, which is caused by low stomach acid due to low thyroid, and um, this kind of conundrum of low thyroid also causing quite a few cardiovascular problems. This includes atrial fibrillation. It includes high blood pressure. It includes um, like weird cholesterol, kind of reversed cholesterol ranges. So um, that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode. And then we'll kind of, you know, set this thyroid convo aside for a little bit and get into uh, some of our other conversations. Um, feel free to reach out to me always find me always at feel better than fine. I am on Instagram at that handle and am also at feel better than fine at gmail.com. All right. Until next time. Bye.